Hey gang, it's Graham. What's cracking? This is my review of a book called A Stranger Among Saints by one Jonathan Mack. Alright, so <laughs> ever since um, one video that I put on YouTube accidentally like blew up and got 100,000 views and got me 800 followers last year, <laughs> uh, I decided to do a little bit more reading into... Uh, passengers on the Mayflower. Um, doubtless you guys have heard me talk about this one uh, a number of times over the years. Uh, the, the primary source that I used for that video was Caleb H. Johnson and his book, The Mayflower and Her Passengers, uh, which was pretty much just like an encyclopedia of them. Some of the entries were long, you know, based on if they were central figures in the, in the voyage and in the colony after they arrived versus like if they died early and not much was known about them anyway then you know the, the entry is pretty short i think there might even be one or two where it's like a male passenger whose name started with j and was in his 20s you know things like that uh but among the ones that um have pretty detailed and documented lives there was one stephen hopkins who uh, was pretty important because he'd been on similar voyages before and uh, he had a lot to contribute well, you know, which I had read of. But um, prior to reading this book, A Stranger Among Saints, I didn't understand the extent to which he contributed to the colony and to which he may have contributed. Uh, let me elaborate. So Caleb H. Johnson wrote a book that was also specifically about Hopkins, but I didn't want to read that one if I was going to read a book on Hopkins just because, like, well, I've already read Johnson's book. I want to read somebody else's research uh, you know, on this particular passenger, because I imagine that uh, Johnson's book on Hopkins would just be more of the same, but in greater detail. So trying to vary it up, vary my sources a little bit. And that's what brought me to Mac's book, which came out last fall. Um, but right up front, the big advantage that the the Mayflower passengers had in bringing Hopkins was that he had been to the New World before, specifically on the uh, the famous voyage with the Sea Venture, which uh, was headed to Jamestown in the very, very early part of the 1600s. Uh, if you saw the Disney movie Pocahontas, um, he was on that ship with John Smith and John Rolfe. Um, <laughs> definitely don't watch Pocahontas with a shred of historical accuracy in your crosshairs because damn. Um, John Smith was definitely an adventurer in real life, but he's one of those dudes who uh, it's kind of hard to confirm the details of his exploits because the only source that we have about them is John Smith. <laughs> and uh, as Charles Mann pointed out in his book, 1493, um, you'll notice that he tells the same story with just different figures and places in it a lot of the times like oh i went to this place and there was this group of native people and the local leader didn't like me but his hot daughter was all about me and even though they almost killed me she's like no daddy don't kill him i love him so much and then i hooked up with her and then i went to the next place and they had a leader who didn't like me but his hot daughter was totally into me and he was going to kill me but then his daughter was like no daddy and you know repeat ad nauseum he had this happening in turkey he had it happening somewhere else in eastern europe and then lo and behold he tells the same story again among the Powhatan people in uh, in Virginia, where the Jamestown colony was. <laughs> and um, in real life, it was John Rolfe who married Pocahontas and uh, went back to England with her and then 
Um, she got sick, and before they could make a return voyage to North America, she passed away. Uh, but that's a whole separate story. Like I say, it's just relevant because Stephen Hopkins was on that voyage. Um, he was credited with committing an act of mutiny during their their shipwreck in the Caribbean. Uh, the details of that are in the book. I won't divulge the entire thing here. But it wasn't like he was just being a, an uppity, disruptive passenger. He had a a legal question based on the legal charter that they received from the King of England, from King James. And this is where questions of uh, legal governance come into mind and which country soil you're on and, well, do we have to abide by the orders of this king if we land on soil in this country and so on and so forth. You know, questions that we're still asking today based on, you know, nationality and sovereignty and borders and law and, and whatnot. Hey, imagine that. We in the 21st century are not dealing with legal issues of our kind for the first time. But they got the ship fixed. They went up the, uh, up the eastern coast of North America, landed in uh, Virginia, did the whole Jamestown bit, and then Stephen Hopkins traveled back to England. Then you've got the whole bit with uh, the religious separatists, the ones that called themselves saints, and the ones who weren't religious separatists but wanted to travel to North America, and those were uh, what the saints referred to as strangers. Hence the title, A Stranger Among Saints. Stephen Hopkins wasn't one of these religious colonists. He was effectively a stranger, but uh, his fate was intertwined with that of the uh, eponymous saints. Uh, the reason why the Mayflower passengers hired him to be their guide in the New World was they were actually aiming for Jamestown. Their plan was to go there. And they wanted somebody who'd been there before, who knew the lay of the land. And they were originally going to hire John Smith, but um, he was he was too forceful of a personality and they were afraid that if he got there he would try to take charge of everything and just put everybody under his own control and uh that would kind of defeat the purpose of escaping a monarch that wasn't allowing you to practice your religion according to the dictates of your own conscience anyway and so uh, they hired hopkins who may not have been as skilled of a of a woodsman and a mariner and all that stuff as john smith but he was also more amenable to their cause and had a little bit less ego, and so he was their guide. Um, as an added advantage, which is one thing that Mac emphasizes in this book that I hadn't read in other accounts of Hopkins, is he had a familiarity with Poetan's language. You know, while he was there at Jamestown, he learned the, the language of that particular tribe of Indians, which was under the, the umbrella of the Algonquin language tree and would have therefore been similar to, adjacent to, the language spoken by the Wampanoags up the coast in Massachusetts, where the, the Mayflower ultimately landed. Um, so Hopkins, when they finally did make contact with uh, an Abenaki, what the frick was his title? It wasn't a sachem, what was Samoset? Sagamore, he, he was a, Something similar to a chief, but like a sub-chief, sub-sachem. Uh, when they met Samoset, you know, his English was pretty broken. But in addition to his broken English, he was also able to converse with Hopkins in a limited form of the Algonquin tongue. And that is what contributed to the, the pilgrims being able to communicate with the first local that they finally met. Um, and this is where this particular book, uh, Stranger Among Saints, kind of diverts from a Hopkins-centric narrative and focuses more on the first couple of years of the Mayflower Pilgrims, the Plymouth Colony, and their dealings with the local natives. And um, 
man, it's it's just so different from the bullet point version that you got in public school, which is, you know, I, I've said this before, I get why public school only touches on individual events very briefly, just because there's a massive scope of stuff to cover. But the details, this is one of those stories where the, the details of it are so fascinating and enlightening that it's worth the time that it takes to read a couple of books on this subject to get uh, a complete picture of it. Um, I'm going to plug again here, Mayflower by Nathaniel Philbrick. Excellent narrative uh, on this group of people and their, their doings in the new world. But that one's got a much larger scope that covers everything from who the pilgrims were, why they left Europe to come to North America, and then the next 50, 60 years leading into uh, what ultimately was known as King Philip's War, which Mac also touches on that in this book, but he doesn't, uh, he doesn't focus on every little bit of, of minutiae leading up to King Philip's War, which you know the, the, the King Philip figure was one of Chief Massasoit's sons who had um, a Wampanoag name and also had a, an English name. It, it gets complicated. Um, Mac kind of wraps up that part of the narrative. Uh, not, not that he wraps it up, rather. He, he focuses more on Hopkins' life and uh, brings the book, you know, at the end of the book, he kind of brings it to a close, again, talking about the final details of Hopkins' life, you know, his, his family, the women that he had married because he was a widower once or twice, um, the kids that he had, making sure that they were taken care of, how Miles Standish took care of his kids after uh, Hopkins passed away. Hopkins passed away well before the King Philip's War, and uh, so he wasn't a part of that. He wasn't he wasn't party to it. He didn't see it go on, but uh, you know, so it doesn't make up a large part of this particular story. But I would say that Mac's book focuses more on Hopkins at the beginning and at the, at the end, but like the middle sixty percent maybe is more about the Mayflowers and the the Plymouth Colony in general, which uh, he brought some new information to light that didn't really stick with me during my readings of, of Philbrick's book or other books that I've read on that subject. So it being November and it being the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving, last year you guys will remember me hyping the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Voyage, um, that makes this a, a very topical and, and timely book to read. Um, one of the frequent, I wouldn't say frequent, it popped up a couple of times, kind of comments that I saw on my YouTube video about the Mayflower passengers was, you know, most of it was people chiming in with like, oh, I found out I'm related to this person or that person. And, you know, I'd, I'd throw in a couple of details like, oh, here's, here's what I know about them, but I didn't cover it in the video and, and yada, yada, yada. But you'd get the occasional dunce who would just jump in like oh all these people were racist oh that ship should have sunk and and uh you know critical race theory crap like that um they weren't racist they were there to worship their god the strangers were there for you know purposes of getting their their footing started in a new world they didn't have the brightest of futures and prospects over in in europe so they came here but these people weren't coming here to start crap with anybody you know, least of all the natives that they kept trying to meet so that they could build good relations with them. And it was it was the Wampanoags that wanted nothing to do with them. Grant, you know, granted, this was based on prior experience that the Wampanoags had had with other Europeans, namely some French slavers that came over in the mid-1610s 
uh, and an English slaver named Thomas Hunt, who was responsible for capturing uh, Squanto and some of his Patuxent compatriots and trying to sell them into slavery in Europe. So it wasn't like the Wampanoag's wariness of Europeans was completely unfounded, but there was a reason why they didn't want to meet the pilgrims and constantly use their, their knowledge of the territory and the, you know, the lay of the land to remain hidden from them because they just didn't want anything to do with them. They didn't want to mess around with it until Samoset had met them, talked to them, found out that they weren't there for golden riches, but rather they were there you know, to, to live and they had brought their women and children with them. And that was what opened up Sachem Massasoit to saying, okay, well, maybe I will meet with them and we'll, we'll see what's going on and we'll go from there. And it was... Governor John Carver, who entered into a treaty of uh, mutual friendship and protection with the Wampanoags, that uh, his successors Bradford and Winslow, you know, honored for you know, many years to come. Um, and it was only after both of those leaders on both sides had died that the succeeding generations entered into problems. Now, granted, it was only a couple of short years before the the numbers of Europeans in Plymouth Colony started to multiply and some of them started creating problems, namely men that came on, on ships the following years, which is stuff that's detailed in, in Philbrick's account of the Plymouth Colony. But the point is that it is a very 21st century, let me score points on the internet type view to just say, oh look, there was those white people that came and screwed everything up and Thanksgiving is a racist holiday and we need to tackle the troubled history of this bullcrap like I I'm not going to sit there and say that the Native Americans didn't get a raw deal because they obviously did but to sit there and say that oh every group of Europeans that came over screwed over every group of kumbaya peace-loving Native Americans it's like they gave as good as they got and when it came time for open warfare things just got ugly and this is a, another sub subject that Mac covered pretty well in this book, explaining like this is who we knew did X on this date on behalf of the of the Englishman, and this is who we knew did Y on this date on behalf of you know whatever Native American tribe. Like it, it comes down to the actions of single people that started this beef and dished out that beef, and everybody else on this side of the line said, well, it wasn't the Billingtons that did this, it was the white people that did this. And then the other one said, well, it wasn't the Nossets that did this, it was those Indians that did this. And all of a sudden, we're in a state of war. Learn from this kind of stuff. You know, learn, learn the actual details of it. And when I say learn from it, I mean, you know, implement positive changes, implement things that you would do differently. <laughs> and say, you know, okay, let's take the facts into account, have a factual observation of history, and don't do this kind of stuff again in the future. Is that so freaking hard to do? You know, because if, if we're just going to sit there and say, okay, well, because this group was wronged by this group, I'm allowed to hate this group. Like, if your focus is on who you're allowed to hate and who you're allowed to dish it out to, you're doing it wrong. And you're not doing anything new. You're just keeping this crap going. And that is very much against the, the specific spirit of the holiday of Thanksgiving, which ought to be a day of gratitude, a day of humility, a day of peace, and a day of goodwill. And that is very apparent after an honest and thorough study of the history of this holiday, how it came to be, why we celebrate it, and what it should mean to all of us. Anyway, 
that's my two cents on this particular book and on this subject. So check out A Stranger Among Saints by Jonathan Mack and read more about this, this man, Stephen Hopkins, and his contributions to the very earliest and longest standing settlements in North America. That's it. Be safe. Be rad. Be you out there. Ha! Got it.